Hello, this is Gidon Rothstein, and this is uh, the first chapter of Eicha, of the Book of Lamentations. Uh, certainly, and uh, not certainly, I would think the saddest book in Tanakh. It is a record of the mourning, or of what Yimiyahu had as a nevuah, over how to mourn over Yerushalayim. And the tradition is, Rashi quotes it here, and it's a Gemara in... Moed Katan, um, yeah, Moed Katan, Dachadvav Amen Aleph, 26a in Moed Katan, where Yirmiyahu comes, there's an incident in the book of Milachim, where, or in the book of Yirmiyahu, where Yirmiyahu has a Megillah of some sort, and we're not told what it is really, but he has a Megillah, and they bring it to the king, and they read it, and as they read it, they object, and they tear it up and throw it into the fire. So the incident is that Yemiah has this nevuah, they find the Megillah, they find the scroll on it, and they read it to the king, and as they read it, they tear it up, and they burn it in the fire. So the tradition is, what was that Megillah? So Rashi says there were three alphabets of Eicha, meaning chapters 1, 2, and 4, which are acrostics, as we will see, and then they burn it, so Yemiah recreates it, and adds the third chapter, which has a triple acrostic. So I think the point of the Gemara and the point of the Rashi is that that there was the belief that they could avoid the consequences of the Nivuot, that they could find a way to, to just deny the Nivuot were going to be happening. That's clearly part of the story of Yermiyahu's life. And the point of the of the triple Nivuot is to say, you think you're going to get away from it, but in fact you'll just end up doubling it. So that's and so that's an introduction to the thing. But it also notes that, and I've heard people say that Eicha is Yirmiyahu's reaction to the Chorban, but according to that Gemara, according to that understanding of it, it's Yirmiyahu's prediction of the Chorban, and it's not an emotional reaction in any sort. It's a nevuah, it's a prophecy in which Yirmiyahu was given, was vouchsafed an understanding of what the destruction was going to look like, and he had that prophecy, and he shared it with people, and they rejected it. The whole idea of rejecting prophecies is certainly close to my heart, those of you who know me have heard me before, I will do this once and not again, so I apologize if you object to it, but I do have a book of stories out there. Cassandra misreads the book of Samuel, which takes various stories in Tanakh, and one of the sub-themes of the book is how difficult it is for people to accept the messages that Nevi'im, the prophets, bring to them. Also, let me say once and maybe not again, but my email, some people have contacted me, my email is g-r-o-t-h-s-t, grothst, at gmail.com, and I'd love to hear from you about these shiurim or other things that may come up. In any case, our Pasuk, so how solitary does the city sit, or something like that. Let me open my JPS English just to get the exact translation. I'm never good about exact translations. Alas, lonely sits the city. Alas, lonely sits the city, once great with people. She that was great among the nations is become like a widow. Rabati Am, so was once great with people. Rashi points out that uh, she had a lot of people, and he has a midrash. He, then Rashi says, and this is, I want to note this because it's interesting to watch how often he will not listen to himself. He says, Yesh but he There are lots of midrash There's huge midrash on Eicha. You could spend years studying just the midrash on Eicha, the, the the legends on on Eicha. Rashi says, I'm going to give you the pshat, and then I talk almana. Rashi quotes a Chazal, the Pasuk says, it was like, is become like a widow, and Chazal note on is become like a widow, that 
it means that she wasn't actually a widow, because a widow has lost her husband and he'll never come back. But, but the tradition is that in our case, we won't, uh, we won't lose it in that way. We will one day be brought back. We will be rebuilt, rehabilitated by our husband, by Kaddish Baruch and therefore we're only like a widow, not actually a widow. So buried in some of these statements, Rashi is going to find some level of comfort. The Gemara in Sanhedrin, Kufdalat Amin Aleph 104a notes that the use of the word Eicha is odd, and therefore suggests that Eicha, if you count in Gematria, is 36, and it means to imply or to note that the Jews violated the 36 Kritut Batorah, the 36 excision crimes, the 36 crimes that involve excision, some of which are uh, eating on Yom Kippur, eating Chameit, eating living bread on Passover, failing to do a Brit Milah, but most of which are, and this is crucial, I think, in a, in a world, especially America, but a Western world that has lost sight of this completely, most of the kritot are involved with sexual immorality and sexual impropriety, among them things like homosexuality and adultery and and related sexual issues. And this Gemara is telling us that that was crucial. We think we always think it's new. We think, oh, we now understand human sexuality better than they used to. But this was around back then, and it was problematic then. Chazal understand it to have been the foundation of the underlying cause. This memra in Chazal, this statement in Chazal, the underlying cause of the Chorban. Rabbi Yochanan says, why do they have an Aleph bet? Why is it all acrostics in Eicha? So it says, so he says, Rabbi Yochanan, that's in Gemara, says, because the Jews transgressed the Torah, which also was given with the whole uh, Aleph bet, suggesting that they found a way to violate really the scope and the sweep of human language in what they did. And then, hear about the um, yeah, okay. So that's that Gemara in Sanhedrin. I would also just note before we get into it, because it's going to be a very sad time, uh, very sad learning, because we're going to have spend most of our time understanding how we've done things wrong. Lipsikta Rabati notes, however, that Yeshayahu has a reversed language for everything that Yirmiyahu had said in a bad way. So Yirmiyahu says, Galtayuda, that we're going to go to exile, Yeshayahu brings us back, that we're going to cry, Yeshayahu brings us back. So there is out there Nechama, but the study of Eicha itself is not a time when you're going to get to a lot of Nechama. That's Pasuk Aleph. Pasuk Bet. Bachotifke, Balayla, Vidimata Alechiah, Elaminachem Kol Oaveha, Koreha Bagduvah, Yula, Loyavim, she weeps bitterly in the night, her cheeks are wet with tears. She doesn't have anybody to comfort her from all those of her friends. All her allies have betrayed her, and they became her enemies. So Bachotifke, Rashi says, Shtebitich Bechiot, Ashtechurbanin. So this is Yumio. Rashi understands that already the second destruction was understood or was was foreseen at this time, and that's part of the lamentation that's going on here. So why Balayla? Rashi says one simple reason would be because the it, the beginning of the burning was at night, because that's the tradition. The tradition is that on Tish Abav, on the ninth of Av, it was really in the late afternoon that the fire started, and most of the burning happened later, and that we really mourn is the beginning of the process, not the... Not just not the burning, but the the fact that it started because that was it. And the other possibility Rashi quotes is, and this is another perspective of Jewish history to keep in mind, that it's the bechiyah of the miraglim, which was at night when the miraglim, the spies came back from their original. This is in the book of Babibar in the Torah itself. When the spies came back and said, "No, we can't conquer the land of Israel," and all the people cried that night about why God had taken them out of Egypt and how God could have done that to them, and that was the bechiyah that Chazal's tradition was is the Bechiyah Lidorot, is what created throughout the generations this availability on the ninth of Av of terrible things happening, leading up to including the Chorban, the destruction of the Batei Mikdash, of the temples. And that's Bechotif Kebalayla. Our nighttime crying is one that has lasted for us and has separated us from 
all the nations turn them into our enemies. Uh, the Judah has gone into exile because of misery and harsh oppression. So Rashi thinks means that was part of what created the Galut. Um, that's the because of. When she, wrestled, when she settled among the nations, she found no rest. All her pursuers overtook her in the narrow places. Rashi says in the narrow places is one possibility is just in narrow places, like uh, between a field and a vineyard. But then he quotes, and this is striking because he had said he wasn't going to quote things like this, Umidrash Agada between the 17th of Tammuz and Tisha B'Av and the 9th of Av, which is a time of trouble and problems for the Jewish people, they caught her, and that's why that's part of why all this happened, and they created more and more troubles for her. So the point is that we have, we go into Galut, we get exiled from our land, and in the exile we end up bearing harsh consequences, poverty, hard work, and we don't find any rest in this exile. So that's what Yirmiyahu is predicting and lamenting. Pasuk Dalid, Der chetzion avelot mi beliva baemoed kol she'areha shomemin koaneha ne'enachim Bitloteha nugot vihimarla, the ways of Zion are in mourning. Why are they avelot? Because they're no longer the people who used to come before the Moed for Regal. It used to be that Eretzol was a thriving metropolis, a thriving area where people would come regularly, traveling the roads, there would be traffic, there would be people. Uh, and instead, now all her gates are deserted, her priests sigh, her maids are unhappy, she is utterly disconsolate. She has uh, no happiness. There's nothing going on. It's all it's all gone because they've gone into exile. Pasuk Hey, Hayut Sareha Lerosh Oyeveha Shalu, Keshem Hogah Al Rov Pishaha, Olahal Hushevi Lifnatsa. Her enemies are now the masters, her foes are at ease, because the Lord has afflicted her for her many transgressions. Her infants have gone into captivity before the enemy, meaning um, as we know, I mean it's just the meaning that we've gone into exile and we've lost our Sovereignty. We've lost all of what had made us special and different and great, and therefore we have a great deal of sadness for this, but there is the awareness in here that it's because of our many transgressions. So just to put in a small note of comfort even into here, although it's largely, it, it is uh, it is a sad comment on the fact that we are just bearing punishment. Meaning, you know, if somebody... I, I think examples of this or things to or meta analogies that are useful in this situation or let's say somebody has done something. So to pick an example that's not to pick examples that are not in much debate. Let's say somebody, you know, drinks to excess for years and years and years and they get cirrhosis of the liver. Or somebody smokes for years and years and years and they get lung cancer. So it's not necessarily that we're going to be angry with them or look down on them for the disease they have, but the bearing the suffering is going to be difficult. Nonetheless, that's sort of what this passage is about. I'm sorry. There's nobody there because of all these things. And then also, that her enemies are the masters, her foes are at ease because Hashem has afflicted her. So, it's terrible and it's going to be born, but there's nothing to do about it. It's just the consequence of things that have gone on for a long time. So one note, though, is interesting to me and is a little bit comforting is in, in the Gemara in Gittin, Daf Nun Vav Amidbet, 
And this is part of the Gemaras that are permitted to learn on Tisha B'Av, so then perhaps they'll learn more often than other Gemaras, because people find themselves with a long day and nothing to do, so they turn to Gemara on that day at least. So it tells the interesting story of Unculus Bar Clonicus, right? The one who eventually wrote Targum Unculus. Titus, was a nephew of Titus. And he's unhappy with his life in some way. And he wants to convert to Judaism. So he raises up Titus, this is what the Gemara says. He raises up Titus in a, in a seance kind of a thing. And he says to him, in the world to come, who's important? So he says, the Jews. So Unculus says, so maybe I should go join them. And Titus says, no, there's too much halacha. You won't be able to do it. I'll give you a better idea. Go and oppress them, because whoever oppresses them will become an important person. As it says, Hayutzah it says in our Paschal, that those who bother the Jewish people will become Rosh, will become the heads, will become powerful and important. So it's a striking, I got it in several different ways. One way is, it would be really interesting to realize that Unculus is somebody then who manages to find the way to convert to Judaism precisely because, or one of the attractive things about it for him, is that they're oppressed in this world because he recognizes ultimate value. That's a very important issue to think about. How many people are able to recognize ultimate value as opposed to immediate value and to resist it? Meaning, Titus doesn't say to him, or he doesn't say to himself, I'll join the Jews now because this investment for the next 50 years of my life will pay off in this world. He's saying, I'll never know in my life itself that I've done the right thing, or I'll never necessarily get the reward for it. But in the future, I expect to, and I'm willing to bet on that. second piece of it that I think is interesting also is that the Gemara portrays Titus even after having died, even after having seen the world to come, even after having seen the Jews important there, still rejecting the notion of joining them, and still thinking the way to go is to oppress them for the sake of the this world power that you get out of it, even though the tradition was, the Gemara says, he was suffering in the next world and being punished for it, he couldn't see it that way. So that's, a, I think, a very sharp way of expressing the difference between Rishaim, or evildoers, and people who become Tzadikim, is that the Tzadikim were able to see true value, and able to work towards true value even without immediate gratification, and the evildoers, even when they see the true value, will reject it for the trouble that has to go into it. Pasuk Vav, when all these troubles come to us, and when we've gone to exile and all this, so all of the glory goes out of Batzion. Uh, her leaders were like stags that found no pasture, were like, meaning were like a deer that are looking for pasture and they can't find a male deer, and they couldn't find anything to eat, so they can only walk feebly before the pursuit, they have no strength, and therefore they cannot anymore escape from those who would chase them. Rashi says they have no strength because their strength is gone by the famine. Um, and Rashi notes that here the word rodeif is written full with a full vav, whereas generally it's written without of the vav. Um, and it coming to tell you that the level of chasing that happened to the Jewish people in the destruction, in the, in the Chorbet HaMikdash, was a fuller level. They were able to chase them, in some sense, more fully than they had ever chased anybody else before. So that's an expression of how disastrous the Chorban was. Gemara in Shabbos, Kofi Bet, 119b. Just interesting notes that there's a series of discussions of why it was Jerusalem was destroyed, and each one says, Lo Elai. It only was destroyed for this, as if they could each find a sufficient cause, 
something that was good enough on its own to destroy, to justify the destruction of the base of Mekdash and of Jerusalem. So Ula says, because they didn't have any boshit panim zemizet. In other words, they would sin in front of each other and not care, because they had no, they had no more embarrassment about it. And I think these are instructive things to see just in terms of applications to our times. So that's one. Another one is, Rabbi Yitzchak says, that it was destroyed because hushvush katan vegadol, meaning they lost the sense of who was important. And they treated unimportant people just like they treated important people, and vice versa. That's an important uh, suggestion. The idea that we're supposed to have people we respect more and people who we're nice to and appropriate towards, but they're not at the same level of respect. Different discussion. Amar of Amar Bridger of Shimbar. Abba, Amar Rabbi Shimabar Abba, Amar Rabbi Hanina, the last one we're going to talk about now, Lochavishlem al-Bishvil, Shalohochichu Zeedzeh. They weren't able to give Tokocha to remonstrate with each other. And where did they get that from here? Because Hayusaraka Ayalim Lomatsu Mir'eh. So what does that mean? Why does it refer to Ayalim to stags, to, to stags, to male deer? Because what happens is they stand with their heads down, uh, down so that one's head is near like the tail of another one. What does that mean? In that generation, when they would see something to do wrong, they would just put their faces down into the ground and they would not remonstrate with them. So that's, a, I think, a very interesting Gemara in terms of an insight as to what might lead to destruction. One of the things might be when you have the breakdown of a social ability to turn to each other and say, we're not what we should be, we're not as good as we should be, and you're doing this, and not have the other person just get angry with you, that's a, a key lack in a society. remembers in the days of her in the days of her poverty and of her and of her sorrow all of the wonderful things, all the precious things that she had in days of old, before her nation uh, fell, or when her nation fell into the enemy hands, and then he helped her, her enemy looked on and gloated over her downfall. That's going to be, that's an important theme here. The idea of the, we've seen it before, the idea of the loss of friends, and of the fact that her uh, her enemies were pleased at her downfall. That's sort of part of what's so upsetting about it. What's upsetting about it is, not only that it happens, but also that everybody around her doesn't want to be part of her. That sense of isolation is an important one. So, uh, so the phrase in the Pasuk is that they laughed at, so Mishpatea in the literal translation could just mean her downfall. Right? That she's no longer as important as she once was. But Rashi quotes a really interesting Medrash that says, uh, so he says first is Mishpatea Shvitat Misosah, that she no longer has joy. Then in Midrash again noticed, even though he said he wasn't going to bring Midrash Agadah, he is. So Midrash Agadah, their show, understood it to mean that when the Jews got to Galus, when they got into exile, very interesting thing, it's not quite in line with what Yirmiyahu tells us at the end of his Sefer, but when they got to Galus, you know what they would do? They would keep Shabbos, and they would keep the holidays, and they would not plant, if they, had, if they were farmers, during Shemitah. And the nations would laugh at them and they would say, when you were in your own land, you didn't keep any of these mitzvahs. Now that you're in elsewhere, you're keeping these mitzvahs. So that would be a, an, an added level of poignancy to their situation in that, in that it would mean that they, to some extent, learned a lesson from their exile and yet they had to suffer for it because they got laughed at over, over their doing it, even though they were trying to get back to the right way of doing things. But then they had to bear further isolation, which was already something that was bothering them and upsetting them. And that's part of being Jewish, is the ability and the willingness to go our own way when necessary. We don't like it. That's what Echa is doing here, showing us. 
but we recognize the need to do it when necessary. So Yerushalayim is greatly sinned, and therefore Alken Nidahayata. The translation here is a mockery. All who admired her despised her, for they have seen her disgraced, and she can only sigh and shrink back. Sorry, She goes backwards. So Nidahayata Rashi says to a gola she went into galut, and ervata means her embarrassment. So what's her embarrassment? What's her shame that they saw? So they saw her sins, and they saw what was wrong with her. And so we'll come to that in a second in Pasuk Ted as well, to Matav we just note that this reference to her as a Nida is another example. We had pointed out before that she was Ke'almana. Here, Lenida Hayata, that a Nida is a woman whose husband temporarily separates from her, but we'll come back to her when her period of Nidut is over, and that's another example where we see embedded in, in the in the keynote, in the upset, and in the lamentations, we do see hints of the salvation to come in the future. Pasuk Tet, uh, so her uncleanness clings to her skirts. Right, she says it, it's an expression of, of a disgraceful thing that's happening to her. So if you had a woman, let's say, who was menstruating, and for whatever reason, especially if you don't, let's say, have pads or some kind of protection like that, the blood is seen on her skirt, on her skirts that everybody can see, that's what Tumata means. So here too, the Jewish people had Tumata their uncleanness, what they were doing wrong, was clear and obvious to everybody. She gave no thought to her future. Another aspect of the loss and of the tragedy is that we weren't able to see what it would lead up to, even though we had Naveem telling us this. But and she sank, she has sunk appallingly, and there are none to comfort her, and then she turns to Hashem, see, Lord, my misery, how the enemy jeers. So Rashi says in Lozachrachrita, when they were sinning, they never thought about what was going to happen, and that's why all of these terrible things and all this terrible descent happened to them. So the little translation of this Pasuk Yadu Parashtar is, the foe has laid hands on everything dear to her. She has seen her sanctuary invaded by nations, which you have denied admission into your community, right? That's the simple thing. So who are the people, the nations who are denied into our community? So Rashi understands, based on Chazal's, but Rashi understands that this is a reference, both of these halves of the Pasuk are reference to Ammon and Moab. Ammon and Moab are two nations who the Halacha is are not allowed to marry into the Jewish people. So whereas other nations um, came into the Jewish, came in and and uh, and conquered, and they wanted, what did they want? They would get the gold and the silver out of the Beit Hamikdash. They would be looking for the gold and the silver because that's what people want. Ammon and Moab went to find Torah scrolls and they defiled them, they burned them, they would first, it seems like, urinate on them to make them burn better, and then they would burn them, and the point of the burning them was, these are the Sefer Torah scrolls that said, we're not allowed to marry into the Jewish people. So, the reality, the historical reality, interestingly, less than the portrayal in Chazal that the Ammon and Moab were upset about, and bothered by, and offended by the exclusion and therefore they turned it when the Jews were being uh, destroyed. This was what irked them and 
and was alive for them and what they felt the need to object to and to resist and then to denigrate when they did. So that's a very interesting perspective. Ideally, theoretically, had we been handling it right, so there would have been a different set of relations between the Jews and Amon and Moab. They would have found some way to work out some kind of a relationship, but this shows that Amon and Moab never did and never accepted in anything in any way what the Torah was saying about them and to them and never learned a lesson from it. And they were just furious about it and were always waiting to express their enmity to us. All of her inhabitants sighs, they search for bread, there's a lot of hunger because there's famine in the land, they have bartered their treasures for food to keep themselves alive. See, O Lord, and behold, how abject I have become. Meaning we turn to Hashem as in, uh, as in saying, look how how terrible things are going for me, hoping that at least, to some extent, we might arouse Hashem's rachamim for us. Never before you, all who pass along the road, look about and see, is there any agony like mine, which is dealt out to me when the Lord afflicted me on his day of wrath. Meaning, that now that as we're experiencing it, we turn to other people and say, look what's happened to me, and I'm hoping for you that maybe it should never happen to you. Gemara, interestingly, the Gemara in Sanhedrin Kuftalamidbet says, Mikan, on this issue, Mikan lekublana min ha-Torah. That, Rashi explains what does that mean, kublana min ha-Torah, that when you tell somebody about troubles that are befalling you, you're supposed to, before you say it, say to them, this shouldn't happen to you. Lo alaka, not, it shouldn't happen to you, but let me tell you what, what's going on. So that is a lesson being learned from here, that as we complain and bemoan and are upset and tell people about what's going on with us, we wish for them that it shouldn't happen to them, but we are still deeply aware of the terrible troubles that are happening to the Jews at this juncture that Yirmiyahu is bemoaning. Pasuk from above, Hashem sent fire through my bones and broke them. Um, he said, fire down into my bones. Vayudena, I think, means, and Rashi says, Vayudena means, they He broke us through, uh, through troubles and tragedies. Parash, paras, reshet, the reklai, shivani achor, made a net for my feet and turned me backwards. Netanani shomema, kolayom dova, doveva. Kolayom, I'm sorry, kolayom dava. He hurled me backwards, he left me forlorn, lorn in constant misery. Nisgad ol pish aibi ado, yistaregu alu al tsavari hikshil kochi, netanani hashem bidei, the uchalkum, the yoke of my offenses is bound fast. Lashed tight by his hand, imposed upon my neck, it saps my strength. The Lord has delivered me into the hands of those I cannot withstand. Meaning then, it is the burden of our sins that is, that is inescapable here. And therefore we just have to bear the consequences of, we, of what we've done. It says, Amar of Chizda, Amar Ukva, Amar Barachia, Zoe Shara'a Uchtuvata Miruba. Right? Hashem gave me in the hands of somebody that I can't stand up against. The Gemara says as if somebody was married to a woman and she's somebody who, and there's, we're going to assume for the sake of the example, this woman is an evil, bad woman, a bad wife, a hard wife to live with, and yet getting, divorcing her would cost a huge amount of money. And so that's the analogy that 
that's the analogy that he gives for what's going on here. That it's a, it's a, it's akin to somebody who's in a terrible situation and can't get out of it. So, and then the Marava in the Yerushalmi, they would say, the Gemara is quoting Marava, people in Eretz would say, it's like somebody who who has to always make his money off cash, off of investments, and Rashi says, because he never has, he doesn't have any planted agriculture, and so he's always wondering where his next business opportunity is going to come from. So that's an interesting switch of perspective from our times. I think we would generally see farming as a less certain way of making a living than financial kinds of things, but in the Gemara's time and in Rashi's time, farming was seen as a fairly stable, steady way of making a living. Either way, the point of the Pasuk then, in Pasuk Yedalitav, is that there's a continuing tragedy, a continuing trouble to the status and to the situation of the Jewish people that Yermia was talking about, that we can't, and we can't get out of it. We have to always worry, and we always have problems and, and concerns and worries. Pasuk Tedvav, the Lord in my midst has rejected all my heroes. He has proclaimed a set time against me to crush my young men, as in oppressed. The Lord has trodden their maiden Yehudah. So here, even if we try to develop some kind of goodness and some kind of greatness and some kind of wonders, Hashem is knocking us down. And then Kara'alai Mo'eid, Rashi says in Kara'alai Mo'eid, that he's brought armies, Yidad Gayasot is called to, to come against me and defeat me, whereas our rabbis learned it as that, it, that Hashem made it be that Tammuz and uh, the way he worked the moon that month, that, that year of Tishabab, to make sure that the victory and the church come on Tishabab to reflect back what happened with the Miracle and what happened with the spies. So that all of this is sort of working away, is the working out in history of things that we are already owed. The Gemara Sanhedrin portrays Nebuzaradan when he burnt, when he conquered Jerusalem and burnt the temple, as being very proud of himself and used this Gat Darach Hashem that Hashem had already pressed us down and already, um, as in a wine press, it already knocked us down as saying, as Hashem coming out to say to you, Zardan, don't be proud of yourself. You didn't do anything. They were already fated for. They were already destined for this kind of destruction. I will cry for these things. My eyes flow with tears. Far from me is any comforter who might revive my spirit. My children are forlorn. For the foe has prevailed. That says any any yardamayim. That that it means it never stops. I'm always crying over this. That would be an interesting thing if we could find it again today. People who were constantly upset and constantly thinking about or worried about the destruction. But in any case, Yimiel portrays it as any any yardamayim. That there's a lot of continuing upset over it. Gemara has a terrible story of. The two children of Ishmael Kohen Gadol who are, whose masters try to mate them and they are upset about it the whole night and they eventually die of broken hearts and that would be Aini Aini Yerdamayim over our children who have been implicated by our sins and they have to suffer the consequences for them. Ayubanai Shomimim Kigavarayev. Pasuk Yidzain Peretzat Zion Biadeha Aimen Achemlah Tiva Hashem Yaakov Sivav Tzaraf Haitai Yushalayim Lenida Beinehem. So Zion spreads out her hands, and there's nobody there to comfort her. The Hashem is summoned against Yaakov. His enemy is all about him, and Yerushalayim has become among them a thing unclean. So, and Rashi says, even when we were exiled, 
we were exiled with. And again, the villains that Rashi thinks of as being villains in this particular incident, uh, Ammon and Moab, are exiled with them, and therefore we have to continu- continually contend with these kinds of enemies right around us. Whereas the Gemara that I referred to before talks about the Nida aspect of it that we will one day come back. Underlying important issue that we do recognize that this all comes because of sins that we have done. This is something that became fashionable in recent times to reject as a stance. But this is the stance of Yirmiyahu. I think the stance of your tradition, the recognition that we do have lacks, we do have failures that do justify the things that go wrong in our lives. Again, that reaching out to others is an important theme in this parak, and the failure of others to respond to us, and the fact that we have enemies, I think it's an important portrayal of part of what's so tragic about the Qurban, that instead of being central to the world, and central to the future of the community of nations, we are an outcast. That is very disturbing and distressing to us. So we reach out to them and we say, look and see how much I'm suffering. All of my boys and girls have gone into captivity. And I call for those who supposedly love me and they they were they they played me false. I mean, they didn't respond in the right way. They didn't respond in a in a in a sympathetic way. They didn't respond to my needs. My priest and my elders have perished in the city as they search for food to keep themselves alive. Please, Hashem, see how terrible it is for my anguish. My heart is in anguish. It's turned over within me because I'm very bitter. Uh, outside the story deals death and indoors the plague, meaning there's troubles all around and 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 it's very upset and we're very uh, bothered by it. Rashi quotes a uh, Gemara which talks about the fact that even in the exile people would trick us into making it worse. So we'll have to pick it up another time but they would like fool them into making all the sufferings worse. Chamar Maru, Rashi says, my insides have shrunken within me but Bayid Kamavet that inside Rashi says it's the fear of demons not necessarily actually plague. The English had plague but Rashi thinks it's just fear. It's not even actual death. It's just the fear of death that's always around. All my enemies hear what's going on and wrong for me, and they're thrilled about it. Because you're doing this. You brought the day that you called for, that you said would happen, and they and we hope that they will one day also suffer these kinds of things that let them become like me, because that's going to happen eventually, and when we see that, we will feel that it is a proper, appropriate reversal uh, from them, for them, because they should have had a different reaction to us all along. Let all their wrongdoing come before you, and deal with them as you've dealt with me for all my transgressions, for my size are many, and my heart is Sick. I just point out in Puzzle Kavala, Rashi knows when it says, asita, that you made them hate me. Rashi again notes the idea of us being separate from them in the way we eat, the way we drink, the way we uh, marry. And Rashi therefore assumes that an important piece of what's going on is that we are complaining, we are upset about all the things that, about their hatred of us, and their hatred of us stems from our separation from them, and that's a key crucial issue. It's interesting, I don't know if it's true, but it's interesting that in Rashi's time is when 
Jews are struggling with things like the laws of Yain Nesach and the laws of interest, as my teacher, Rabbi Dr. Chaim Soloveitchik, has analyzed historically, um, and those were all issues of where the Jews were being separate from the non-Jews, and there was pressure on them, and they were trying to figure out ways to make that pressure less, to make that separation less. Rashi sees that as being an, one underlying theme within Eicha. It's certainly there in the text itself that we're upset about how dif- how distanced we're forced to be from them and how much they hate us, and Rashi sees that as an underlying worry and concern here. So in the first paragraph of Eicha, we do have much tragedy, much trouble, much suffering, but other themes that might not have been might have been under-noticed are the themes of recognizing that we've done wrong, the themes of what we've done wrong, the ideas of us having violated many, many important foundation pieces of the Torah and Halacha, and then the whole piece of the relationship with the other nations being a crucial part of what bothers us so much in the suffering that we undergo. Uh, it's a very sad time. I, it's soon going to be, you're going to be listening to this soon before Tisha B'Av. Uh, it's hard to wish you a good day, but in the context of recognizing and remembering the Chorban, and remembering how terrible the Chorban and the destruction is for us, I do wish you within that context as good a day as possible.